Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your in the searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to another episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy, and today we are going to answer the one question, is a bipolar label related to early childhood trauma? And if so, is there a different solution than psychiatric medication? Okay, I know that's technically two questions, but that is what we're talking about in this podcast episode. And joining me to answer these questions is my good friend, Dr. Christina Bjorndahl. She is a naturopathic physician in Canada who has had her own personal mental health journey and challenges and then has dedicated her life to helping others with similar uh, struggles. She and I met at a health entrepreneur conference and immediately hit it off. In addition to being an author of the book Beyond the Label, 10 Steps to Improve Your Mental Health with Naturopathic Medicine, she has closely followed Dr. Gaber Mate over the years and really adopted his compassionate inquiry methods he teaches in her own journey. As you will see in her story in this episode, she was adopted and was given several mental health diagnoses. If you have been adopted or have worked with those who have been adopted, you know that this is common for those who have been adopted to receive several mental health diagnoses. Well, she struggled with those labels because it only went to one solution, psychiatric medication. If you work with someone who has been adopted, if you have been adopted, if you have adopted and been given a mental health diagnosis or label, you will get practical solutions in this episode, different than what you will hear from the mainstream practitioners. Here is what you will learn in this episode. Is a mental health label helpful when dealing with stored trauma? Can early childhood trauma explain bipolar labels? Is there more to the bipolar diagnosis than medication? What are the root causes of bipolar symptoms? How does adoption trauma influence bipolar diagnoses? Can inner work replace mood medications in bipolar and depression? And what are the steps in inner work that one can do if they want to address the trauma factors of a mental health label? Now, we don't want to neglect the fact that it is not just, uh, I want to say, parts work and inner work, there are strong biochemical factors as well that can be part of these mental health diagnoses. But we have other episodes on those. If you want to refer back to my episodes with Dr. William Walsh as examples for what you can do on the biology side of mental health, adoption trauma, and bipolar depression, we have those episodes. In this one, we are going to focus on what is the trauma factor with these labels? Are they helpful? And what can we do? With that, welcome, Dr. Christina. It was really exciting to to finally connect with you. I've been following yes. you for a long time. <laughs> yes. we get on summits together, you know, yes. all at the same time. Yes, our so. paths have crossed many times. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so much of your personal experience, I have either personal or professional experience with. So this is such a meaningful time to connect with you and talk about how our worlds intersect on so many different levels. And such an important topic right now, especially with mental wellness and people really struggling with the new changes and the isolation and the change in connection and relationships. And so 
lives that they felt were manageable before, or they were at a certain level of wellness, mental wellness, and now they're really struggling. And many of them may not have any diagnosis, but just aren't on that uh, aren't on the spectrum where they want to be in terms of mental illness and mental wellness. And so this is such an important topic. And let's talk about the book, Beyond the Label. What was your motivation for writing this book? Yeah, you know, I, so when I was struggling, so just out of the gate, I'll just mention that, so I've been given lots of labels uh, or diagnoses. So anxiety, depression, I had an eating disorder, and then bipolar disorder type one. And that one in particular, I really struggled with. And so the motivation to write the book was partly because when I was struggling, there weren't a lot of solutions found from a natural perspective. It was mostly from the Western perspective. And I really had wished that there was a book like this out there. Uh, so it, uh, it took me a long time to, to put it out in the world, partly because I wasn't public about that bipolar diagnosis um, and so that's really that's really what was that was the main motivation was to to help people understand that there is another way another path another um, supportive it can just be a supportive way to manage your health um, and for me that didn't that didn't exist at the time that I was struggling so mm -hmm. yeah. yes especially that diagnosis has been uh, so difficult for many who have been given that diagnosis, whether it's accurate or not, just because there hasn't been many solutions for that other than the message that they need to be on medications and this is going to be forever. And that is, that's a hard pill to swallow for many people. Yeah. Unintended, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. And, and for me, it just didn't sit right. You know, like I, whenever I asked the question, why, like, why is this happening to me? The answer I got was, well, it's genetic. And because I am adopted, I couldn't look to my left or right to verify the truth of that statement. And so there was a part of me that didn't accept it as the truth and continued to look for answers. And the book is really a culmination of all of these answers that are, I think, to be found or solutions that can be available to you. Um, and it's, it, it, I guess I want to emphasize, because this is a big um, controversy, right, for a lot of people, because you're, 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 you're told the party line is medication is the only way to manage this condition. And then here I am out there saying, well, you know, if you look at all of these 10 steps and you do... A lot of the inner work maybe you don't need to take as much medication perhaps or maybe you don't you know it's very hard for me to say not to take medication because I know that that goes against the grain for so many people but it's possible it really does and the message that I see being given to my patients who have been given that diagnosis I don't give that diagnosis out but many come to me who have been given that diagnosis and they are seen as being non-compliant if they're not following the medication regimen that they have been prescribed. And they don't follow it for several reasons. One may be that the medications that were prescribed to them don't make them feel good. It causes either side effects that don't make it worth it for them, or it makes them feel weird or funny in other ways, and it's not a good fit. And yet there's not other medications being offered that... Uh, might be a better fit. And so they just don't take them at all, but then they're being seen as non-compliant 
and adding that to this label that they already have right. and makes for providers, whether mental health providers or health providers, almost leery just looking at their chart because here's a patient with a label, with a diagnosis, and then this label of being non-compliant. Right, right. Yeah, and I think what, what healthcare providers need, need to do instead of putting that label on them is to actually understand, well, what's happening to you? And what, what happened to you to get you to this place? And, and perhaps what you have experienced in your life is just that. Like these are experiences that draw you closer to you to help you get to this place of healing. Um, and, and to maybe look at, okay, well, what, what, what is going on with you and, and how can we support you in that? Versus, okay, you're not compliant. I'm not going to help you. Right. Right. And I'm so glad you bring this up because this is what I see as well in my work, especially with families with adopted children or children with other types of trauma, attachment disruption, where their environment created a nervous system, which is imbalanced and it's going to show up in different ways. And there's a lot that can be done to change that, to rewire that, to create flexibility and health into the nervous system without giving a medication that just shuts the whole thing down, <laughs> just dampens the whole thing. Yeah. And so what I tell families is, look, I understand that you may have been given a diagnosis, a label, been told to take medication, and yet you've come to me because you don't want that and you want to actually address the root cause. So let's do the work of the relationship of the rewiring for secure attachment, and then we'll see what the new baseline is because it's so different once we actually work with the conditions that created this. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, one of the big things that in what you're talking about and what we talk about in naturopathic medicine is really is what is the root cause, right? So what, and so in some cases, like, especially in the case of adoption, you have to go back to utero, in utero, right? Because that organism, when you're developing in the mother's womb, you're experiencing everything that she's experiencing. And just by the nature of the fact that a child is adopted, then we know that that mother was stressed from, from the fact that whether she was in a bad you know, relationship or was product of rape, or there was, um, you know, she's just young and, and not financially set up, but whatever it is, whatever it was, it's, it's a stress in and of itself to have to make that decision to, to give up your child, right? And so the organism, the baby is, nervous system is going to be wired with, with more cortisol, which is a stress hormone circulating through that mother's veins, and that's going to affect the fetus and the baby when you come into the world, right? And then, absolutely, right? And then you come into the world and all of a sudden, goodness me, that voice that you're used to yes. and that environment is not no longer there. Well, how do you think that baby's going to respond, right? They're not going to be. Right, it feels right? abandoned. It feels terrified yeah. because the only person voice that they knew that was any kind of a resource is now no longer available. Right. So they're going to be in a more sympathetic, right? That sympathetic much state, so. right? That sort of stress, stress, stress state. So it's, it's interesting, like I just have finished doing a, a program with Gabor Mate, who talks a lot about trauma and this, you know, in uh, the in utero experience. And I opened my book with a discussion about this. And, and so we really, right. I don't want to gloss over this, but the, you know, the experiences that happen to you in those early years, you know, before the age of 10, inform 
your world and they inform the beliefs that you make. And these may not be conscious, but I can tell you that the beliefs that I formed were, and, and some of them are perceptions, like they're not, it's not, you know, they're not absolute truths, but it's what, which is what allows the change and the growth to happen because they're not absolute truths. But what they do is drive the operating system of the brain and, and, and it informs how you behave and operate in the world. And for me, I, because I felt I, you know, I wasn't wanted and I, uh, I'm not lovable. I have a whole list of, of these core beliefs in the book, but I'll just leave it at those two for now. And, uh, and so to overcompensate, I became an overachiever. Right. Right. And you, and you see that a lot. It's quite common. A lot, especially yeah. in professionals, high performers, there is this underlying insecurity that drives their need to produce, to pr- perform in order to feel like they are worthy of attention and love. Yeah. Very common. Very common. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but like you're saying, what's underlying that is this, these faulty core beliefs. And eventually for me, I had to take a look at that and to create some, create some change. Cause it's, it's, for me, I ended up sort of burning out, you know, you can only burn the candle at both ends before you're going to run out of a candle and, and you're going to flatline. And that's essentially what happened to me. And then, but because of the symptoms I was having, it was then called the was diagnosis, depression and anxiety. Um, but what I think would have been helpful at that time was understanding the behaviors that got me there. Exactly. Right? Nobody asked me about that. And, and also what I talk about in the book is essentially there's three on the physical level, there's three macro systems within you. So you have your neurotransmitters, you have your hormone or neuroendocrine system, and then you have your organs of detoxification and your immune system. So when someone's run out of gas, so to speak, it's not neurotransmitter based. It's, it's more that hormone system. Um, so when, you know, we just mentioned a few minutes ago, what's the root cause? So always wanting to look at that. And especially when somebody starts an antidepressant and yes. they don't feel better, you know, normally if it is a neurotransmitter problem, serotonin uh, you know, or GABA or, or dopamine, whatever neurotransmitter it may be, you sh- theoretically you should feel better taking that support. And if you don't, that should be a clue that, well, maybe this is a, not the right macro system. Right. Right. So... Yeah, there's so many factors that can be an underlying reason or even a contributing factor to uh, depression or anxiety, whether or not it's diagnosed, right? But genetics, and I love Dr. Walsh's work because what he's been able to show me is there are genetics that will make a child more sensitive with their nervous system. And so you were talking about, you know, the perception versus truth. And I keep coming back to a person's felt sense, their felt experience is their truth because they felt that. And so when we have someone who has one of these biochemical imbalances, say methylation or one of the others, the copper zinc imbalance, they're going to have a nervous system that's already more sensitive. And so it, it, they're, experience going through childhood might be very different than their sibling 
because they have a different felt experience in their body and are experiencing the level or the lack thereof of attention and guidance and mentorship from their parents differently. But it's, it's this felt experience that really shapes their nervous system. And then, like you say, it translates not only into the neurotransmitters and the brain chemistry, but then the hormones and the cortisol. And how well are we detoxing our system? Because that's going to pile on in terms of the burden that the body and the nervous system is having to deal with. So it's not, it's not as simple, just take a pill and <laughs> I'll see you in six weeks. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and, and we, you know, we're complex systems, right? We're, and everything's interconnected. So, you know, we want to, we want to, um, you know, keep that obviously in mind that it isn't just, okay, I'm going to fix one thing and everything's, you, there's a domino effect, right? And so, but the same token, if you improve something, that also can have a domino effect in a positive direction. So any change that you make is going to affect your system, but we want to hopefully you know, make change in, in the right direction. Yes. And one thing that you did mention that I'd love to talk more with you on, probably after, after this summit and when we can connect again, is this nervous system development of an infant and child and from my understanding with working with Peter Levine and the somatic experiencing work, when infants are born, their nervous system is not developed to be able to regulate itself. <laughs> and so normally it does require a lot of interaction, contact, regulation from the primary caregivers in order to keep its nervous system developing in a healthy state rather than being in these extremes of distress. And not only will the infant go more towards sympathetic, but their nervous system at that point is wired to really go into the freeze quite a bit where they give up calling out for help because they don't think that anybody is there. And especially in a circumstance where you have a child who's being adopted out or there's been any kind of abandonment or neglect, that tendency to go into the freeze is going to be pretty strong because yeah, they, they've gotten that message that it's, it's not worth the energy to keep asking for help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that what you see? Do you see, a, do you see people with these types of histories having a stronger tendency to kind of get overwhelmed and go into the, I just can't take it. I, I want to quit the yeah. freeze, the yes. freeze state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and also not only that, but just, just into that withdrawal, like they just shut exactly down. Exactly. The collapse. Yep. Yeah. The collapse and the withdrawal of the freeze. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and really it's, it's, so it starts in order to kind of, to move into healing with that, it's about first bringing awareness to that. That's how you're responding. Exactly. And then bringing some compassion to, and, and trying to understand and doing this, you know, with somebody who's skilled like you, um, to to help you understand well when did that you know when when did you first remember feeling that way and and how far back does that go and in some situations it does it goes back to it it, it takes time like I know for example through this work that I was doing recently Gabor Mate talks about how depression is often about what are you pushing down what are you depressing within you what emotion are you depressing within you and he was saying to me that, you know, perhaps in my case, it's anger. And anger is not an emotion that I resonate with at all. Um, I've been actually quite afraid of that emotion. Exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. And so 
after he said that to me, I was reflecting on it and doing some, some more work with a therapist. And so it came out for me that actually this anger, I was angry at my biological mother. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I just yeah. made that connection like literally two months ago. Wow. Up until, up until then, I never, never even considered wow. that. Right. So really powerful, really powerful, it, you know, and, and giving some space to that anger and allowing myself to feel it and to, to be, to be upset because mm -hmm. it's because it's, because what's going to happen you know you're just a vessel right you're a container and these emotions need to be expressed and if you if you stuff them they're going to hang around within you and they're going to create energetic disturbances within you versus allowing that energy to flow through you right emotion is you know e for energy in motion we want to allow it to flow and then i i often say to people the healing is in the feeling if you're not allowing yourself to feel then your body you, can't process it right how are you going to heal right mm -hmm. so if you need the the right you know environment and you need the right uh, yes. you know a safe container to to do exactly. this but i just want people to you know it, it you know i've been i have had so many depressive experiences over you know i'm 53 for for many many years and never once did i consider anger and that in utero mm -hmm. experience so it's quite powerful it is very powerful and it makes me think of a couple different things. One would be Peter Levine talks about depression as having to hold down the life force that is present and wanting to come out. And so very similar to this idea where where there's 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 anger, there's an there's an energy there and the deeper the depression often the bigger the life force that is inside someone and it's exhausting to not have that integration and ability to to feel and process those because it's so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people who want to be, you know, biohackers, optimizing their biology, performing at their highest. I certainly was one of those and I had no room for feelings for right. emotions. I saw them as problems. <laughs> Exactly. Anything yeah. that affected my ability to focus and to work and to get, get it done, get it done. Right. <laughs> I saw it as a problem and feelings and emotions were one of those. And so this work very, it sounds very similar to the type of work that you have done to, to bring yourself into a good place. I've done that work as well over the years, and it has actually allowed me to be more present get more done because I'm not having to fight the emotions. Yes. I'm not having this internal tension and battle and I'm not, I'm no longer hating that part of me that has feelings. <laughs> exactly. And that's a really big piece. The one thing I want to say is I, I've mentioned this, it sounds similar to what Peter Levine is saying, maybe just on a, maybe a, a lesser scale, but for me, some of my depressions, I have felt like it's almost like a battle between my soul and my ego. Right. So it's like it's like my ego wants to go west and my soul wants to go east and I'm stuck. Right. I just I'm just stuck, paralyzed in that freeze mode, not knowing which master to listen to. And so if you putting that into the context of Peter Levine's work, then it would be that soul is that life force. Right. It's, exactly. It's, you know, wanting. Yeah. So just it's just to for me, it, it's been um, as soon as I started to follow the path of my heart versus my ego, that is when. Uh, also another layer to the healing happened.
I like how you're talking about layers of healing because that has definitely been my experience as well. And I'd like you to talk more a little bit about that for those people who want <laughs> want the you know one fix and done, and then I'll be all better, and I won't ever have to <laughs> do any of this work again, and I can go on with my life and really like put whatever it is behind them, right? Whether it's depression, whether it's a label, whether it's early childhood experiences many people just want to put it behind them and never have to do anything ever again. And I think that for many people, that's why they, they, there is that pull to just taking a pill because if they can yeah. take a pill, then there's not much work involved and they really can feel like, ah, yeah, I've, I'm dealing with that. I've dealt with that. I can now move on to the rest of my life. And that's not really how I've seen that it works. Like it requires uh, a maintenance of what you've learned in order to stay in a good place. But then like you're saying, at certain points in your life, you come across this next layer that you never even knew existed, right? For you recently, it's discovering the anger, uh, which for me is awesome. Like I'd love to talk to you more about that, but but whatever it is, like for other people, it may, it may be something else, but there's, there's always like this next layer and this next level. And rather than being a burden, I have found it exciting because I realize, oh my goodness, like there is even a next level that I can get to in terms of my physical and mental wellness. Awesome. Let's do this. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think what we want to, you know, understand is kind of that onion analogy. If you visualize yourself as an onion, there's lots of when you when you cut an onion open or you're peeling an onion, you're peeling different layers off to get to that center. And, and that can be the journey of healing. And I think what we want to understand is that, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's not about a destination, it's really a journey. And so it's not that you're trying to, you know, get to a certain point and then, you know, okay, I'm done, I don't have to do anything more. It's really just about uh, uncovering, it's really about uncovering who you are in any moment and what it is that life is presenting you with to, to deal with. So relationships are a great example of mirrors uh, and, and of, of what it is that perhaps, you know, our shadow sides. So things that we have to, to work on. So when we talk about shadow sides, it's, you know, you know what's in your awareness and you know what's in your consciousness in terms of the way you think. But then there's these shadow beliefs that are, are, again, are operating in the subconscious mind that often go way back, and it can be, you know, even to this in utero time. Um, so an example of, if for people to, to, to contemplate of whether they have a shadow belief is to say, if, say, the, say you want something, say you want to change your job, but then you never do anything about it. Right. That can be because there's a shadow belief at play. So that's yes. an example from my life. I, I was said for many, many years that I wanted to quit my job. I wanted to change my career. But, you know, year in, year out, I would never do anything about it. And it was because there was, I mean, no surprise to you, there was a deep-rooted belief and it was a fear of rejection. Yep. Right? I didn't want it felt safer for me to stay in the current conditions of my job that were sucking the life out of me yes. rather than risk rejection looking for another job. That was much more terrifying. So for me, it's been the fear of spotlight, the fear of being uh, seen. Because okay. for me, that was not safe as a, as a child. It was not safe to be seen. Right. So 
that's that's my shadow belief that I've got to work with in my professional life because it got to the point where it's like, hey, to grow, you have to be seen. <laughs> you have to yes. put yourself out there. And it's very similar, right? Like it, it, yeah. it all kind of comes down to the rejection that that I fear that I will experience if I if I am in the spotlight and people actually see me. Right. So right. yeah, I'm so glad you're talking about shadow beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that. So I guess uh, the reason I was partly mentioning that was that to sort of answering this question about the, the, this healing piece. And I, I feel that I'll, you know, I, I don't know that the work is ever done. I mean, maybe it is, maybe, you know, you get to a point and, and it is done perhaps, but I mean, the work that I was, you know, doing with Gorbomate, he's, he still is talking to a therapist. So I think that we need help. And I think that there's people out there to help us along the way. And we're all just guiding each other ultimately home. And that home is back to you. And it really is a decision of how far you want to go in your wellness. Yeah. Right. I mean, at any point, yeah, you can stop and you can maintain where you've gotten, but there is more work available if you want the next level. That's right. Mm-hmm. There's always something to improve on. But if, if you're, you know, if you're of that mindset or, or there's also, it's also, you know, an opportunity to, to sort of rest within where you are. And it all, it really, it's, it's so individual too, right? It really just depends yeah. on what's happening for you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would be something that I would be really curious about, Dr. Chris, is what are your practices that you have found in your years of doing this work that are your routines to maintain the level of healing that you've been able to accomplish in your mm-hmm. physical health and mental health? Yeah. Yeah. So what I talk about in the book, I talk about there's 10 steps to, to look at. And most people start at that physical level. So things looking at diet. Uh, sleep, exercise, and and managing stress. So for me, um, the diet is a really important piece of the puzzle. And what I want people just quickly to understand is that everything that you put in your body is going to inform it in one way or the other. And so we're wanting to make sure that we're giving it the right messages. And when I was struggling, you know, I was deficient in a key amino acid, which is called tryptophan. And tryptophan in the body gets converted to serotonin. So Every time I went off an antidepressant, I ended up back in the pit of depression. And part of the reason was because I did not have nutritional building blocks to even make this main neurotransmitter that I needed. So really important diet for me is, um, and, and, but because I've had an eating disorder, I'm also, I'm not, I'm more of an 80-20 person. You know, I don't need to, you know, I, I want to be careful that I'm not, and especially when you are working with people who have had eating disorder histories, we don't want to be, um, we just have to gently move into to that piece by not, I don't want to create another problem, right? right. Exactly. So, yeah. So it's more about increasing the support of foods that are good for you and making mm-hmm. sure that, you know, simple things like half your plate is vegetables and, you know, avoiding white products and pop and sugar and right. so the diet. And then the other piece of so sleep, especially with bipolar disorder. Yes. You know, I don't necessarily know that I have that still because it's been a long time since I've had a psychotic event. Um, but anyway, I feel that one of the ways that I prevent that from ever happening is managing that sleep piece. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, um, that's a really important for me to make sure that I'm maintaining a proper schedule with that. So rhythm and routine is really important. 
um, in terms of the sleeping and the eating and the exercising. That's so important for your adrenal glands. It's important for that regulation of the, of the nervous system. Yes. Um, and then the, the exercise, it's hard to pick one thing, right? Like it's all important. It, diet, it, important, it, it right? is. It's all important. Yeah. <laughs> sleep. And, and, and you can start, you know, just start with one of those steps to begin right. with. And then, um, but then the exercise. So movement is your medicine. And, yes. Thank you, know, you. Yeah. You've, you've probably heard this quote. I'm not sure who it's, it's to be attributed to, but the quote is that pharmaceuticals are the most overutilized prescription for depression and anxiety and exercise is the most underutilized prescription. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, I, I really get it. I know it's hard. I know yep. I've been there. Like mm-hmm. there's been days when all I've done is move from my bed to the door. <laughs> yep. And that's taken me, you know, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve 12 hours sometimes exactly. to do that. <laughs> yep. But I've never come back from going out feeling worse than when I left. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it, and it can build on itself. It, you know, you create those um, endorphins and, and the sort of that you sort of feel good and, and you get a glimpse of, okay, I feel a little bit better. And so over time, I know for me that that's exercise is one of the first things to go when I'm um, depressed and, and then diet goes out the window. I don't eat. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to fuel your brain if you're not giving it any gas? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so those are sort of the, the primary um, foundational mm-hmm. steps. And then that's where I started when I started working with a naturopathic doctor and but then eventually I had to bump up against my thoughts right? yep. and my emotions and those core beliefs that we were talking about, those shadow mm-hmm. beliefs. So then I had to go and do that work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I have found is that so much of the work really is putting these routines and this rhythm into life. And that's what decreases the number of episodes into depression or anxiety or psychosis or whatever it is. If we're trying to just implement this when those happen, we're not going to be very successful because as you say, when you're in the middle of it, it's the hardest thing to start something new. It really is the prevention of it through maintaining this rhythm and routines that work best for a person's body and their biology. Yeah. We have run to the end of our time with this interview and the time has gone by so fast for me. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Chris, for sharing your time and your powerful story with us. Thank you for taking your experience and using it to help others who have also had mental health diagnoses and want a different solution than psychiatric medications. Your insights into not just the importance of addressing root causes, but how to address the root causes are invaluable. Diet, movement, sleep, rhythms, routines, all of it matters. And to you, the listener, thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. We covered a lot today from the significance of understanding adoption and early childhood trauma in a mental health label to the essential role of holistic well-being, and we brought in a lot of parts talk. If you found this episode insightful and helpful, I kindly, kindly ask you to take a moment to rate and review this episode. The reason is that it helps others who have had a mental health label find information that could be a game changer for them. It's a way of passing it on. I receive and I give. To rate and review the podcast, go to the podcast platform you're listening on, scroll down, and leave your rating and review there. In the show notes for this episode, you will find essential resources for your clear path forward as it relates to this information today. 
Dr. Chris's website where you can find her book, Beyond the Label, as well as two guides that are important on this topic, My Biology of Attachment Trauma Roadmap, and the three most common biochemical imbalances in mood and mental health. You will find those there. Additionally, if you're interested in the parts work you heard us talking about, I invite you to let me guide you through a journey into your nervous system to lay the foundation for addressing stored trauma in the body safely. This is called the foundational journey. The 21-day journey and intro journey to all parts of me make up this foundational journey, and they lay the groundwork for safely addressing stored trauma in the body and opening up. If you are a professional, a practitioner, Interested in the biology of trauma professional training courses I offer, you will start with this foundational journey as it is the foundational module for all of the biology of trauma training. I will have the link to the informational page about the biology of trauma professional training in the show notes as well. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and until next episode, sending you lots of love. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.